Improving health literacy, the ability to understand and act on health information, is key to improving health outcomes and lowering costs. Welcome to the Health Literacy 2.0 podcast, the podcast series from EdLogix where we talk with business, HR, health, and community leaders and explore unique, data-driven, and effective behavior-changing solutions that can help improve people's health literacy and increase their engagement with health and wellness programs. For show notes and bonus resources, visit www.edlogix.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast on health literacy and workforce well-being. My name is Seth Serksner, Chief Health Officer at EdLogix, and I'm so pleased to welcome today Carla Munez, who is Chief People Officer at IMA. I'm going to let her explain a little bit what IMA is and her role, but Carla, thank you so much for joining. We've been talking already a little bit, but I would love for you to share a little bit with everyone about your background and how you got to where you are today. Thank you, Seth, for the opportunity to join your podcast. I have been in human resources for a little over 18 years. I am passionate about healthcare, and most of my experience has been leading teams and supporting human capital strategies in healthcare. Previously at a large healthcare provider here in Central Florida. And most recently, a little over a year ago, I joined IMA Medical Group. IMA is a primary care physician medical group. We are located in Central Florida, cover over seven different counties. We have 22 clinics and 12 wellness centers. And our niche, if you will, is the care of the elderly. We have a large percentage of our patients that are Medicare Advantage patients. And our providers and our team members are passionate about taking care of this, where at times it's a vulnerable group here in Central Florida. Yeah, excellent. You've kind of got a dual role because in a sense, you're taking care of the healthcare providers, but they're taking care of the patients. That's right. And that's one of the reasons why I love healthcare so much. Yeah, exactly. Although I'm not a clinician, we're still taking care of each other. Absolutely. So what are you finding are the big issues? I mean, we know and have heard so much about, you know, how hard COVID was on healthcare providers and you know, frankly, I don't think it's let up much, even though now we can do some work in person. What are some of the big issues that are facing the workforce that you're dealing with, the primary care physicians and some of their support? That's right. Yeah, no, COVID absolutely did a big one to healthcare <laughs> employees out there. And I tell you, one of my biggest focus as a chief people officer is employee well-being. And when I talk about employee well-being, it's really being mindful about the programs or the strategies that we are implementing at IMA Medical Group, where we want to impact how employees are connecting with each other. I bring under that same umbrella employee engagement. We want to make sure that our employees are finding meaning and purpose for waking up every morning and coming in to take care of our patients. We want to make sure that our team members feel like they have a sense of belonging when they're here at IMA and that they are 
empowered. And at the end of the day, when they go home, that they feel accomplished about the work that they've done. I want them to feel proud for what the work that they're doing. So really, when it comes to my priorities right now, is just, you know, continuing to build this culture where employees feel open and that they feel seen and open to sharing their ideas and opinions and things like that. So really holistic approach to employee well-being. It's so interesting. I love what you're talking about. And as you probably know, have a background in well-being and have watched it evolve. And a typical answer maybe some time ago might be we try to keep our people fit and eating well and all the rest. Then it switched maybe a little bit to, well, we want to make sure they're sleeping well and feel kind of financially stable to now the things you're talking about, which is we want them to have a sense of purpose and connection and belonging as foundational to well-being. It's such an interesting evolution. How do you do it, Carla? <laughs> yeah, it's not a job of one. I absolutely feel supported, not only by our talented executive team, my boss, our chief medical officer, and the rest of the executive team, where we've been able to, just to give you an example. Yeah, great. At the beginning of the year, we said, okay, we really need to lean in and expand on our diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. Mm-hmm. And I activated this formal DEI council chaired by our CEO. We were very intentional when we invited this group of team members, many leaders in the organization to join this DEI council and really set, help us set the strategy on all things DEI. We invited providers to the table because we knew that they were going to be able to not only bring a wealth, a plethora of knowledge around health equity and things like that, but we wanted them, of course, to have a seat at the table, but also other executives because we wanted the employees to feel that this was important and that we wanted to really make a difference. While at the same time, this DEI council remain highly in touch with our frontline employees, again, making sure that we were listening to what they had to say. So last month, just three weeks ago, we were doing a lunch and learn with all DEI council members. We were answering questions from our employees about, you know, the programs that we're doing. What does this mean for us? We address health equity from a patient standpoint to provide education to our employees about the topic, about what this means, and starting to create an awareness. You know what I mean? So yeah, lots of progress there. But the way I look at it is DEI is just another strategy and another vehicle on how this is going to impact employee well-being. You know, so really looking at employee well-being from a much more holistic approach. Again, so interesting. You're right on the kind of cutting edge of what is going on right now. There's a lot of conversation about where's DEI and well-being? Are they separate? Is it part of it? Same with ESG, you know, the kind of sustainability and governance and environment types of initiatives going on. Where does that fit within kind of overall well-being? Right. I'll give you another example. Yes, please. And this one is just really interesting how it came about And in a little unique, actually, on IMA's approach, but I'm proud of the collaboration that happened. So 
As you know, I am in Central Florida, Orlando, Florida specifically, and I am a medical group. It's a multicultural organization, and that is because many of our patients are of Spanish descent. Many of them have Spanish as their first language and seek many of our bilingual providers for care. I mean, there's a large percentage of the Spanish community here in Central Florida. So with that said, we have a robust workforce that is also bilingual, bilingual Spanish specifically. Uh Well, earlier this year, we're talking about maybe February or March of this year, one of our employees reached out and said, I am seeking guidance from you all about a potential English programs for Spanish speakers or for, you know, other language speakers so that I can improve my English abilities. Sure. sure. And so, you know, my team and I, we started to gather some of that information about programs in our community to share with this particular team member, understanding that there were others that perhaps had the exact same question. So we put a quick guide together for our team members. And about the same time that we were working on this inquiry, I learned that Orange County, and Orange County is the county where the city of Orlando sits and, you know, Orlando metro area, if you will. It's a large county, one of the largest ones here in Central Florida. So I learned just from media, from the news, that Orange County had partnered with Rosen Hotels. And Rosen Hotels is a large hospitality employer in Central Florida, and they were offering English classes for free to the Rosen Hotel employees. UCF, University of Central Florida, was teaching the program. So Orange County partnered with UCF, University of Central Florida, to teach the programs. So I immediately reached out to Orange County And I said, hi, (laughs) how did this happen? And what can we do to collaborate? And they said, actually, where are you located? Yep, we are in Orange County, although we have clinics, you know, elsewhere. Our headquarters are actually in the iDrive corridor. And so they said, you know what? This will be a very interesting partnership. You guys are not hospitality, you're healthcare. And it would be a great pilot to run with IMA. Fast forward, Orange County did what they needed to do and ultimately got approval for IMA to be a pilot of the program where what it does at its core is English as a second language for working employees. Yeah, fantastic. And UCF would teach the program in-house. So here at IMA, the goal is for the program to eliminate those barriers for employees to access the learning by removing the barriers of transportation and daycare and stuff like that because the employee is learning at work. So you do it on company time? Yeah, so we do it here at IMA. Right after the clinics close, our employees then come in because we don't want to impact the patient flow. But right after, we provide them with the UCF instructor right then and there. They get a gas stipend because of them are driving from other clinics over to our corporate office. And they actually completed an eight-week pilot program 
last Thursday. Nice. And nice. what came out of that, the amazing stories where this partnership is a testament or IMA's commitment to providing medical services, not only to diverse patient groups, but at the same time, the commitment that we have to offer our employees where they are enhancing their language skills and professional growth while at the same time adding value to the patient care that we're providing. Because we're able to break down the communication barriers in our team members. We can empower our team members to effectively engage with our patients. They are able to communicate with them much more effectively and then help the patient navigate this complicated healthcare system. Yeah, it's a win on so many levels. I agree. Yes, yes. So we're so proud of this collaboration because it's literally a win, 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 win. Yeah, goes down the list. Exactly. You know, and it's so interesting, right? When people ask about well-being or some of these initiatives, sometimes they think, oh, it's so hard, so complicated. But on the other hand, I mean, obviously it took you some effort to partner with the university and make this class available. But yes, let's get some ESL. Let's get some English as a second language, you know, teaching going here. And obviously there's some employee loyalty because you care about them enough to help them with their own career development, professional development. And obviously they feel better about how they can interact with everyone. You talked about connection and a very nice kind of a theme right there. Well, let me ask you something else. You know, I'm big on this health literacy topic and talk about health literacy moving from 1.0, which is kind of old school brochures and maybe the doctor drawing a little picture on a piece of paper to something more behavioral gamification, using data to help personalize and using multimedia things like little videos or infographics and all the rest to really make learning interesting and fun and engaging. I'm wondering where you see that both In the practice, I know we talked a little bit, you've got a big theme of health education for your patients, but also, is that also something for the employees and their families? Yeah, absolutely. You've heard me mention that we certainly cater to a bilingual workforce and at the same time, patients. So being so mindful that any information that we provide to our team members and our patients are in the language that they prefer. Being very intentional in that it happens from the get-go, not that, oh, here is the brochure in, in English and then we'll get to it for the Spanish brochure or flyer, but it happens from the moment that we launch the campaign or the process, the program, whatever that may be. At the same time, considering that it must be multi-channel. So any communication or any program that we put out there, we have to be so mindful that it needs to target print, email, text, video, because ultimately when it comes to our patients, connect with them where they are. And that could be on a laptop, an iPad, or their smart device, their phones. So tell me this, and I guess I'll switch to your patients for a second, because you did say you're, you know, elderly, seniors, all the rest. Are they quasi-tech savvy? What do you yeah, think? right. Well, I tell you, this is where I stand on that. 
highly adaptable older generations. Honestly, where many of them do have their smartphones and in order for them to connect with grandkids or children and stuff like that, sure. they've adapted, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. To having to utilize an iPad and to use a smartphone. And I tell you that since the times that I've been here at IMA, I'm well aware that we have launched pilots for providers and our patients to have access to specifically iPads in order to expand on their health literacy knowledge. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that yeah. is from a provider standpoint to utilize an iPad while they are in the patient's room to go over whatever procedure or topic or diagnosis and things like that, where there's visuals and stuff. And for our patients as well to be able to have access to, you know, literacy and things like that. Where I stand is you know, there is certainly room for expansion to grow and to continue to lean in on having to expand capabilities. With that said, I think our elderly patients are open and adaptable to continue to invest in these types of technology for them. Yeah. So tell me this, let's extend it a little bit to mental health as well. You know, again, you talked about kind of your approach to well-being. So much of it is kind of social connection and emotional and has a relationship to mental health. But how are you helping, you know, the employees, your people with their mental health issues? Yes. So let me share this with you, Seth. Uh, Last year, I was part of a large study. So Mayor Demings, which is our Orange County mayor, as a partner with United Way for them to conduct a large study around mental health and behavioral health system of care. Okay. And I mean, it took several months, many different stakeholders and lots of surveys and interviews and stuff like that. But being able to weigh in as a, you know, an HR leader from a workforce standpoint, what does that mean? And then from a healthcare perspective, what does that mean? So being able to weigh in and last year, the results were actually delivered to Orange County. And one of the reasons why this study was requested is because Florida ranks poorly when it comes to access to (laughs) mental health in our country. Out of 50 states, I think we're like 48 or 49. It's not great. Yeah, no, 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 it's significant. So it was encouraging just to be able to be part of this study and stuff like that because the focus was specifically around mental health. And, you know, what came out of it, the big results that came out of it the community analysis that we did and things like that is just how important it is for an integrated and highly coordinated mental health, behavioral health care delivery, where it includes significant investments around technology platforms, where information can be accessed, again, multimodal, but that it is available, uh, lots of education to our community and things like that, lots of education for it to include culturally and linguistically appropriate awareness, you know, campaigns, like campaigns to reduce stigma. Yeah, right. Around mental health and stuff like that. All of these recommendations that came out from this study came at a price tag of about $49 million annually. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, but okay. so yeah. needed. You yeah, know so I mean? needed, of course. I'm sure that yeah. the cost of all these mental mm-hmm. health issues far mm-hmm. exceeds. Yes. Are you in the process of implementing some of these recommendations now? or what's Yes. The, the so research? an implementation committee, if you will, has yeah. now been activated. I was part of like the study, the community analysis and stuff like that and gathering the recommendations and stuff. But since that happened, then an implementation committee has been put in place to start to make a way progress on many of these recommendations. Amazing. Well, Carla, there's so much we could cover, you know, the work that you're doing and the path you've taken and the commitment to healthcare and patient service. Anything that we've missed or that you want to kind of emphasize before we close out? I mean, we really covered some nice topics around well-being and some good examples, but anything else? I guess I'll leave you with something that you had already mentioned, Seth, is that there is absolutely synergy and many connections when it comes to employee well-being that we should not be looking at it from a standpoint that engagement is over here, retention is over here, DEI strategies are over here. And the way I look at it is we are all trying just to make an effort when it comes to provide a positive, engaging, highly productive culture at work. In, by improving employee well-being is going to make all the difference. So really looking at it from a holistic approach yeah. rather than just working in different silos and stuff like that is ultimately what my biggest message, if you will. Under DEI, I think that health equity has a place, you know, and under employee engagement, I think that recognition has a place in learning and development and things like that. So just looking at employee well-being as being that big umbrella where many of the topics that we discussed today have a place and a significant role. Well, Carla, that's so fascinating. There's a lot of discussion about is well-being the umbrella that mm-hmm. encompasses those different areas you're talking about. And yeah. it's a, almost an excuse to break down the silos, let everybody mm-hmm. work together. So I really appreciate that point of view. Thank you so much for sharing and some of those great examples and the work that you're doing. Such a pleasure. Thank you for taking the time today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Seth, for having me. And I really enjoy our conversation. Thank you again. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Take care. Thanks for joining us today on the Health Literacy 2.0 podcast, the podcast series from EdLogix, where we talk with business, HR, health, and community leaders and explore unique, data-driven, and effective behavior-changing solutions that can help improve people's health literacy and increase their engagement with health and wellness programs. Remember, for show notes and bonus resources, visit www.edlogix.com forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe and share the show with your colleagues. Thanks and see you soon.